Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about Jacob's breaking from the book of Genesis. Now, Tom has been teaching us from the book of Exodus every Thursday and Friday, but this is a special message from the book of Genesis that we get to enjoy for today and Friday. Now, this message as well as other messages are all free and available for download or listening at friendshipwithgod.org. Great scriptures to uh, before looking into the Word of God is, is uh, Psalm 119, verse 18. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Is that your prayer this morning? Amen. Is that what you really want? To, or that God would open our eyes so that we can see things that will be wonderful out of His Word. Psalm 32, 8. Instruct us and teach us. Two words. In the way we should go and guide us now with your eye. Three words. Instruct, teach, guide. Let's pray that. Father, we come to you this morning. We ask you, all of us here this morning, for the instruction and the guidance and the teaching that comes from above. Thank you, Lord, of your desire to teach us and guide us this morning. Open our eyes, Lord, from, from all the things that have distracted us this week, from what pulls us away and cause us to look in your word now to behold wondrous things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know you wanted me to come and, and speak about the Jews, about Israel, so I couldn't think of anything better to talk about than Israel's beginning, which is in Genesis 32. So if you like to turn there, I, I hope that when you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, that you don't see it the way I saw it before I was saved, when I opened this book for the first time, and thought, well, the old is gone and the new is now. So, you know, let's, let's not spend any time in the old, because that's just all gone away. No, don't look at it that way. But the key verse to look at, and the question really is, how should you think when you come to the Old Testament? How are you supposed to view that? Well, the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, don't think a certain way. Think not that I have come to destroy the law and the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So what he's really given us there is a guidance for how to think about the Old Testament. Don't think that it was destroyed when the New Testament time came. It's been fulfilled. That's the key there. So I I don't know. No one asked me how to name the Old and New Testaments. But if they did, I would have said the Old Testament was Christ concealed and the New Testament is Christ revealed. Or you could say it this way, one was the prophecy and the other was the fulfillment. But you can't just read the fulfillment, the New Testament, unless you know what the prophecy was. You got to have both. So really, the New Testament is a commentary on the Old Testament. Look at it that way. This is my guide in the New Testament to understand what was written in the Old Testament, the first part. So I'm trying to train myself in not calling it the Old Testament. I was trying to call it the Hebrew Scriptures, but then nobody knows what I'm talking about. So I got to do it this way. Anyway, that's very important. So we're going to start in the Gospel according to Moses. Think of it that way. The, new te- the, the first five books is the gospel according to Moses, because that's what it is. It's good news. The Jews call the Moses books, the first five books, the Moses book, the Torah. Well, the Lord called it that also. The Torah, meaning the law. The law, because that's where we get the standard. If you want to know some words that are very, very valuable, especially as you speak to an Israeli person, think of the word, the first word, which is the word Torah. That's the law, the law of God. And you've got that in the first five books, the law of God. The law of God, when I used to go to synagogue, 
They used to have, uh, in Cincinnati, for example, they had a, a, the Ten Commandments, which is oftentimes a stained glass, and it's above where you stand. And, it's, and if you look at those Ten Commandments in Hebrew, it nails you right between the eyes. It's not like the English is, because the majority of the Ten Commandments start with the word no, lo in Hebrew, no. And so it says, no, 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 no. You know, just like you're talking to a kid, you know, it says, it says, you know, no cheating, no lying, no adultery, no bearing false witness, no other God before me. That's how it starts. It goes, no, 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 no. Well, in our Bible, it says, thou shalt not. It's just too gentle. <laughs> it just is too gentle. I don't think it's a good idea. Let's not, I recommend you don't do that. But when you see it and you're, you're sitting there as a little kid and you're looking, no, 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 no. You're going, oh, man. And you walk in and you say, oh, I got health soon trying to get out of this place. You know, that's the law. That's the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to nail us. It is to show us you have really fallen short. That's the second word in Hebrew, the word chata, which is the word for sin. And literally, that's the word that's used today. If you were to, whose dad was going hunting? Your dad, somebody's going hunting, right? And you were to take a rifle and you missed. You shot it and you missed what you were shooting at. Or a bow and arrow and you missed. You missed. And you would say chata. You missed it. You didn't hit it. So when the Bible says in the New Testament, for all have sinned and, and come short of, you didn't hit it. So that's the, that, that, that's the meaning of sin. We oftentimes talk to speak to people and say, let me tell you what sin is. Sin is disobedience to God. Well, that, but also you tried and you didn't get it. You didn't get the prize. You were trying to get into a university and the grade was 80 and you were 75. You chatad. You, you missed it. You fell short of the mark. That's very, very important. So that's what the purpose of the law is. And that then leaves us in a state where we say, is there another option? I can't do that one of the low, 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 low. That's not going to work for me. Is there another option? And then God comes in and he says, yes, there is another option. And I'm going to provide it for you. And that's the option of there's going to be a Savior that's going to come, a yasha, a Savior. A savior. And oftentimes when you hear the word savior, you think, oh man, that's such a Catholic word, savior. You know, how am I ever going to go talk to my Jewish friends about that? Savior. That's so foreign, right? Savior, our Lord and Savior. It's like, oh wow, they say that when they do the rosary or whatever they do. But anyway, but have there been saviors in the history of the Jews? Who was the first savior that God sent to Jews? It was Moses. Moses was a savior, wasn't he? And God said to him, you go down and save my people. Let my people go. You go down and tell them, let my people go. You will deliver them. You will save them. That was the first Savior. Who was another Savior? Esther. Esther was a Savior. She was a woman, but she was a Savior. She was absolutely a Savior. The edict of extermination was written, and it could not be changed. And Esther was the person. I was going to say she was the man, but she wasn't. <laughs> she was the person. She was the one that God raised up, and she knew it. And her uncle said to her, who knows, you've been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. And she said, I could die doing that. If I perish, I perish. Pray for me, fast for me. But I'll do it. And she laid her life down on the line, and she saved Israel. So there's been many saviors. There's been Samson. Samson was a savior. Don't, don't get hung up thinking about Delilah. 
with Samson. Yeah, he had a little problem in that. He lost three S's. He lost his sight. He lost his strength. He lost his service for God. But never forget that he delivered Israel from the Philistines. Remember what he said just before he died when he put his hands on the pillars? Remember what he said? He said, oh God, remember? Avenge me of my eyes. My eyes. They ran those eyes out of his sockets there when they did that to him. He never forgot that. And he pushed down the pillars and, and, and killed 3,000 more than in his whole lifetime. He was saviors. So many, many saviors. Anyway, we're going to look at really the beginning, the genesis of Israel. That's a great thing about this first book. Genesis means beginnings. You all knew that. And you've got all beginnings in the first book. You have the beginning of man. You don't have the beginning of God. There's no beginning of God. But you have the beginning of sin. You have the beginning of salvation. You have the beginning of the the seed of the devil. You have the seed of the Messiah. You have the prophets. All the beginnings are coming into play in Genesis. It sets the stage. Well, the beginning of the Jews or the beginning of Israel is also in Genesis. And it's very, very interesting to study the person of Jacob and the great life change that happened to him in Genesis 32. You know, it seems like God loves this name Jacob because he sprinkles all throughout his Bible, all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, he sprinkles the word Jacob through it. It's used 320 times. because, And he keeps using it even though he's told Jacob, and we're going to see that, your name is no longer going to be Jacob, but he continues to use it. you know why? He's not using it so he can drive him down into the dust. He's using it so that we'll never forget, and Jacob will never forget, where he came from. I hope you never forget where you came from. I hope you never forget what God saved you from. And sometimes if you go door to door, and you may have an opportunity to look into a life and say, boy, I used to be there or I would have been there, or but for the grace of God, I would be there now. That's what God saved you from. And that's why he continues to use throughout the scripture the name Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. I never want you to forget what I saved you from. Never do that. That was the problem with Israel. They said, boy, we want to go back to to Egypt. It was so much better back there. And God says, your memory's a little bit bad. We're going to have to just remember. I had a a friend of mine as a missionary in uh, Indonesia, and he adopted uh, two kids that were the children of prostitute out of the capital there and uh, brought them in and raised them as missionaries. And they said one time, they said, we don't like you. It was better the way we were when, as little kids before you adopted us. And he said, really? Well, let me take you back. So he brought them back to that life and showed them where they came out of. That really changed their lives. And they went on to Bible school. The thing is, is that God never wants us to forget where we came from. So he says, Jacob, 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 all throughout it. Punctuation script. All right, now, let's look at Genesis 32. Follow along as I read this here. Genesis 32. And Jacob went on his way. So let's first of all just kind of break here and just say that his way from where. He has just left Laban. Laban was the... He was a person he'll never forget for the rest of his life, <laughs> Laban. And Laban was God's tool to really do a job on Jacob because Jacob had a very strong streak. He was stubborn. He was selfish. He was a liar. He was conniving. He was scheming. You could not trust Jacob. Well, he met someone that he couldn't trust even more, and that was Laban. So he's leaving now, and he's got, Jacob came in there alone 
to Laban. He didn't have any wives. He didn't have any children. You remember what happened. He came to the well and he saw Rachel and he said, wow, is she hot? And he went and (laughs) kissed her and lifted up his voice and cried and he was just broke. Anyway, his heart melted there. And, you know, with all this strength, he pushes back this giant stone over the over the well and, and waters and everything. And then he went to Laban, you remember, and, and said, you know, and worked, he worked for a while for him and said, boy, I really want her. And he says, oh, good. <laughs> you know, Laban says, Laban's thinking his mind. You remember the first encounter we have in the Bible with Laban? It was with uh, Eliezer and Rebekah. And Eliezer came to Laban's house. Only difference is there was a little bit, that was also a well experience as well. As well, yeah. It's a well as well. That experience was a, diff, was a different man. That was a godly man. That was a, whatever he was, a Syrian, I think. Laban came there with a heart of prayer to that well. And he said, you know, oh God, would you show me the right woman? And this woman is going to go and uh, water my camels and all. And that was Rebecca. It's interesting. Jacob comes to the well, and he doesn't have a prayer in his heart. He's just looking for the right girl. And so uh, what happened with Eliezer is that he went there, and because he was a man of prayer, and he prayed his whole the way through it, Laban was subdued until that time when, even though Laban, he saw his opportunity also with Eliezer, and he said, boy, if we can just get this guy to stay here, we're going to get rich. Because he's got a lot of things in that bag that he keeps pulling out golden earrings and all these things, and we'll, we'll drain him. But there came a time when Eliezer said, no, we're, we're not going to go any further, because now we have to bring uh, Rebecca here, and we're going to ask her the question. And Laban, please don't talk. Give her the opportunity. And so the question was, will you go with this man? And then she said, I will. Okay, that was interesting because now fast forward we've got Jacob who's come now and Laban says well the first one slipped out of my hands but not this one and so he says I don't think he's got any gold in his bag but he sure got a lot of muscle and I'm going to take advantage of that and so he works seven years and he gets well he didn't really get Rachel he got Leah he would have been a lot better off if he in my opinion and this is anyway doesn't matter. But anyway, he would have been a lot better off. I think Jacob would have been a lot better off if he just said, well, this is the wife that God's given to me, Leah. I'm going to be happy with her because, boy, did he invite a world of trouble into his house by not doing that. It's a good thing that Rachel looked pretty because, I don't know, she stole the idols. She brought the idols in. She, was, she pushed him to the edge. She says, give me children or I'll die. And he said, what am I, in the place of God? I mean, she was the quintessential Jap. Okay, I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry. The Jewish American princess, but she wasn't. She was actually a Jewish Syrian princess. But anyway, she was something, you know. I mean, just... But Jacob's household turned into an extremely dysfunctional household. I mean, that's an understatement. It was just awful. There was, anyway, there was just a big, 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 big problem. So anyways, now he's leaving on his way in Genesis 32.1. And it says that Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And Jacob saw them and he said, this is God's host. And he called the name Mahanaim. Let me just pause for a little bit and just say, Mahane is the word camp. And so in Hebrew, there's a way to say, put an ending of for two on it. Mahanaim means two camps. So Jacob, what he's saying is, boy, I just thought I had my camp, the Jacob camp. There's actually another camp here. It's the camp of God. Think about that. 
Are you conscious of that? That in your life there is another camp also with you? A camp of the angels of God who are protecting you? Who, are, who, have, been, who have been sent as ministering spirits to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation? That's us. Anyway, so he came to learn that. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, into the land of Seir and the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall you speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I've sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. By the way, it's been 25 years. 25 years is the time period. And I have oxen and asses, flocks, manservants, women servants, and I have sent you to tell my lord that I, that I may find grace in thy sight. Now, what's he thinking? Grace in thy sight. Well, in the last encounter that Jacob had with Esau didn't go so well. You remember what happened? When he stole the birthright, he deceived him, he tricked him. And you remember what it says about Esau, how Esau was restraining himself from killing Jacob? Do you remember what he said? It says he comforted himself with his plans to kill Jacob. So Esau was so enraged he comforted himself by thinking, I'm going to kill him this way. No, maybe I'll kill him that way. This is what I'm going to do to him. That was his thoughts. And Rebekah, his mother, knew that. And so she said to Jacob, obey my voice. Get out of town. Because she knew that his brother was plotting and just waiting. Just wait till my old man, my father dies, and then I'm going to kill him. That was his daily fare. That's what he ate every day. That was Esau. And Jacob knew it. And so Jacob now, he says, boy, it's been 25 years. I hope bygones are bygones. And, and I hope I could, you know, uh, find some grace, is what he says at the end of verse 5 in his sight. So the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to thy brother Esau. I want you to picture now Jacob listening to this. We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee. Stop for a moment. Man, that sounds pretty good. Except the next part. And 400 men with him. 400 men, no women, no children, no aunts and uncles and everybody else, the part of the whole family, clans come out. No, just 400 men. That meant 400 warriors have come to meet you. And so now you understand in verse 7 when it says, And Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He thought, Oh, no, 25 years wasn't enough for him to settle down and cool down. He's coming here with 400 men. This is a big, big problem. But Jacob says, you know what? I've been in these problems before. And his mind kicks into gear. And he says, we'll get through this. We'll solve this. I can do it. And so he says, and he divided the people that was with them and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands and said, okay, We'll put one band here and one band here. If Esau come to meet the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. So he's sitting there and he's thinking to himself, well, all right, let's see. I'll, I'll divide, it, divide it in half. And so, you know, if he kills one, maybe he'll feel bad because he'll say, you know, what am I doing? Or something. And so then maybe he won't kill the other one. And being the brave man that I am, I'll just stay behind. <laughs> That's Jacob. <laughs> but he doesn't think... Maybe it's not going to work. What if Esau kills the first company and then kills the second company, then comes after me? That's a real problem, it says. So he then turns and he calls on the name of God in verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father, Abraham. It's kind of a sad prayer. Pathetic, isn't it? When you have to call on the God of, O God of Pastor Fisher. That's not so great, is it? 
But that's the way he was. Oh, God of my father Abraham, I know that you're the God of my father Abraham and the God of my father Isaac. I know they had you as, as, as their God, Abraham and Isaac. Don't worry about me. Forget about me. I'm just calling on your name because you were their God. You were their God. It's too bad he couldn't say, oh, God of Jacob. This is sad, isn't it? And then he says, the Lord would said to me, well, you did talk to me. The Lord would said unto me, return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I remember your words. I remember what you said. And said, oh, and by the way, Lord, I just want you to know, verse 10, I'm not worthy. I'm just not worthy of the least of all the mercy. So we know what he's asking for, mercy. And of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. And then he says in verse 11, deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. Isn't it interesting? You see, his prayer is, his prayer is really two words. Deliver me. He has an introduction. He's got an address on his letter. God of my father Abraham. He's got the return part too on his letter. I'm the one that's not worthy of the least of your mercies. And then you open the letter and it's two words. Deliver me. Finally gets to what he's saying. Isn't it interesting that the more we get in trouble and the more we need God, the shorter our prayers become? You ever notice that? And the more focused they become. But the more we're on easy street, the longer our prayers get and the more eloquent they get. It's interesting. And so here he is. He says, deliver me. Take me out of this trouble. I'm in deep, deep trouble. I know exactly what I want you to do. I fear him, lest he will come and smite with the mother of the children. And thou saidest, oh, and by the way, God, I just want to remind you what you said. Now, all of a sudden, the promises of God become pretty important to him. Before, they were like, you know, I've got, God, I've got people to see and places to go, and you're just not one of them, so let me on my way. But now, he's being brought to a different place where he can see his life is on the line. And he says, and then the promises become important. He says, look, Lord, can I remind you, you said, I will surely do thee good and make this, thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And he lodged there the same night and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau's brother. So he says, okay, now uh, plan B, I'll do the present routine. And so uh, verse 14, he says, 200, 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats, that's 220 goats. We have goats. We have about, I don't know how many, about three or 400 goats. That's a lot of goats, I can tell you from personal experience. <laughs> and 200 ewes, those are sheep. 200 ewes, I hate sheep. We have sheep. I can't imagine 200 sheep. I think we have about 30 of them, and it's 30 too much as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, and 20 rams, oh, worse. And 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 kine, 10 bulls, 20 she-asses, and 10 foals. That's a lot of animals. Thank you for joining us today. Now, we're offering Tom Cantor's new DVD resource, What is a Jew by Choice Versus a Jew by Birth? This is a wonderful and great scriptural study on how God has not cast away his people, but that we all need to make a choice to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Messiah. This is a great biblical study and evangelism gift to give to a Christian or to a lost Jewish person, searching for the truth and evidence of the scriptures of who the Messiah really is. So if you'd like to get this fantastic video teaching from Tom Cantor, call us today, 
1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. You can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and go to our online bookstore to order this gift. You can also find other Tom Cantor resources, materials, books, and DVD teaching videos all there and available at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go to israelrestoration.org to get to our online bookstore and find out other free resources and information that we have available on these two websites, israelrestoration.org or friendshipwithgod.org. Now, do you have a Jewish friend or know of a Jewish person that needs to be reached with the gospel? Would you like to give them a gospel gift or have one sent directly to them? We've got a Tom Cantor testimony DVD and booklet that can help you to reach them. Tom Cantor's got an amazing testimony, having a grandfather and great-grandfather that was a rabbi and a father that was a Beverly Hills doctor. He had the best of both worlds, but didn't have the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. Call us today to get this amazing testimony that's been given out, millions of copies around the world. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051. It's a free gift if you're going to witness to a Jewish person today. Call us, 1-800-247-3051, and God can use you to help reach this lost nation of Jewish people today with the gospel. Now, you can also find Israel Restoration Ministries, the Friendship with God radio program, and Tom Cantor on Facebook. And you can receive a daily devotional verse there from Tom Cantor. You can also contact Tom Cantor by sending an email to him at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Tom, C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Let Tom Cantor know how this program has impacted your life or call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. And don't forget, today's message is available for free download and listening at friendshipwithgod.org.